Well, it's uh, so good to be up here with you guys this morning, working through some scripture together from Matthew 6. And today, thought it would be appropriate for my first time preaching in 2023 for us to chat about specifically connection with our God. Not just a sermon about God, which it'll include some of that, hopefully every week, right? But specifically connection with God. Not just who He is or what He's done, but a sermon about our connection with Him. And as I begin to process just the coming year, I, I wrestle sometimes with uh, too much focus or too little focus with a new year, the roll, rolling over of a new year. And on one hand, it's just another year. January 1st is just another day like December 31st. But then in a sense as well, it's a, it's a time in our natural rhythm to kind of do a reset and, and evaluate some things and, and so try to find the appropriate balance of that and just thought, you know, I don't know that there's anything more important for us today than thinking through connection with Him. I don't know if there's anything more important in the year 2023 than connection with Him. And the way that we connect with Him specifically is through prayer. Generally speaking, that's what prayer is, talking with God, listening for His voice, connecting with Him. And anytime I preach on prayer, I like to make sure I don't do one thing and then make sure I do another thing. And so I'll tell you what those are. First, the thing I don't want to do is I don't want to guilt us about our amount of prayer or lack thereof, because I've heard sermons like that, and in fact, I, there was a place in my life where when I uh, was sitting where you are, when the pastor would start talking about prayer, and I realized he was going to be preaching on prayer, and all of a sudden, there was just kind of a wave of guilt and a feeling of shortcoming come over me, because I'm like, oh, prayer, this is going to hurt. This is going to be a beating, because... I haven't prayed enough, or I stink at prayer, or whatever it was. And so, the first thing, I don't want to guilt us about our amount of prayer or lack thereof. And secondly, what I do want to do is to give us some adequate time today to pray in our service, to practice what we're considering. It always feels weird to me when, uh, specifically with prayer, when we spend time in the Scriptures talking about prayer and yet maybe don't allow adequate time to practice some of the things that we see in the Word when it comes to prayer. So maybe we even pause now and pray what the disciples prayed before Jesus taught on prayer. What the disciples asked their Lord to do before Jesus taught on prayer. Anybody remember what it was? His, his followers said, Lord, Teach us to pray, right? And then we see the passage that, that came. We see what Jesus did. He did just that. He answered their prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. What does it look like to pray? How are we supposed to do it? And, and then Jesus gave us these words that we're going to dig in today on the Lord's Prayer. And so in Luke 11, we're not going to turn there, but it's Luke's account of this same teaching 
they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And so maybe we pause right now and, and we make that, we take that opportunity to do the same, right? Whether you feel like you're a prayer warrior, a real gifting in prayer, or whether you can't remember the last time you prayed, there's application for all of us in that. Lord, Lord, teach me, teach me this morning to pray. Lord, teach me what it looks like to pray. Give me insight, maybe that's new or even that's fresh on what, what it means to pray, to connect with you in prayer. And so let's take a second, just between you and the Lord, maybe that's your prayer with Him. Let's pause. Lord, individually and collectively, as a group this morning, our prayer is this. It's simple. Lord, would you teach us to pray? Amen. Well, in response, as the disciples said, Lord, would you teach us to pray? Jesus goes into this teaching, Jesus gives us what now are some of his most well-known words, right? The Lord's Prayer. Some of the most well-known words of Jesus. So whether you grew up in church or maybe you did not grow up in church, chances are you could kind of stumble your way through parts of the Lord's Prayer, if not all all of the prayer. If you had a church background, if you grew up in church as a kid, chances are you memorized this potentially as a kid against what we call the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6. And because of the familiarity with a passage like this, because of the familiarity with a passage like this, my first thought is usually a bit of recoil when I think about preaching it. When, when I begin to process with the Lord the last couple of weeks, Lord, what would you have me preach on? And as I begin to sense His Spirit directing us to the Lord's Prayer, my first thought, my first feelings are a little bit of recoil of, ah, oh, everybody knows that, Jesus. Is that really what you want us to walk through? I mean, everybody knows the Lord's Prayer. There's nothing new for us there. That's my first thought. But then the Lord tends to remind me it's these familiar passages that we most often overlook or disregard because of our familiarity. This week, the Lord had a unique way of revealing some of this to me. I... um, how many of you went back in the kitchen and got something this morning, whether it's coffee or a snack or something back there? Raise your hand. Yeah, it's good stuff. Thanks for team that brings that. Well, it, there was something that typically hangs on the wall back there over the sink. Um, it wasn't there this morning. But I, in the course of this week, I was in here studying. I came in to fill up my water bottle or something back there at the sink. And I looked up above the sink and I saw this picture and my immediate thought was, I don't like cross-stitch. <laughs> now, you may be really into cross-stitch. You may have cross-stitch all over your house, all over your walls. There was one point in history where cross-stitch was the stuff. I mean, uh, you, you cross-stitch all kinds of things, right? We decorate our walls with it. Maybe not so much now. No offense. But I noticed this picture, and it was cross-stitch. And the first thing I thought, I don't like cross-stitch. But, but 
it took me a second time to look up there because I had gotten so familiar with what was on the picture that I just had, I just had overlooked it. And I'll show you what, what was back there. This normally, and maybe this, you'll recognize this, this has hung over the sink for a long time. Do you see what's on it? The Lord's Prayer. And my familiarity with what was on that picture, I had to take a second look at it just to remember what was on it. And, and it was, of course, ironic for me because I'm already into the process of studying the Lord's Prayer and wrestling with the familiarity of it and then looking at this picture going, oh, that's actually the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> and, and it told me something about our familiarity with a passage like this is maybe it's due uh, second and a third and a fourth and a fifth look, etc., right? And so, we'll walk through this prayer phrase by phrase and we'll ask His Spirit to lead us into all truth as we often do here, right? Lord, by Your Spirit, would You lead us into all truth as it pertains to our connection with You in prayer. Remember, You already prayed that, most likely. Lord, teach me to pray. By His Spirit, we trust he'll answer that prayer as we dig into Matthew chapter 6 this morning. And so, let's start. Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 9 is where we'll start. And this is how it starts. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. The first lines, Jesus says, pray then like this. Well, we stop and we go, well, well what does that mean when Jesus says pray like this? I think Jesus says what he means. Pray like this. And we may have questions if you have the same questions I've had is, well, does he mean word for word? Does he mean uh, that I should pray this prayer word for word multiple times a day? Well, maybe. That's not off the table, right? Uh, That would certainly be appropriate to pray this prayer word for word. That's certainly acceptable. But I think the thoughts behind the actual words are what he's going for. And so if we were going to recite the Lord's Prayer as a prayer, if you were going to do that later today or tomorrow or even in this service, if you missed a word or two, I don't think Jesus is going, they missed that word. It's not going to count now. It's not worth much now. And so we go to this, yes, the words are important, but even behind the words are thoughts and themes. And so these themes that we'll see should be incorporated into our prayer life. And they're like, well, every prayer we utter should include all of these themes? Well, again, that's certainly on the table. But let's not see it as a requirement. I don't think that's, that it's some kind of requirement for every single prayer. But each of these elements should be present in our prayer lives in general. And with With these elements that we'll see incorporated, then there's some thought to our prayer. See, our prayers, they don't always have to be thought out, but maybe our prayer, maybe it'd be good to give our prayer some thought. Maybe that's where we go this morning. So our prayer is not just reactionary. Because most of our prayer is reactionary. There was one author that I came across this week that described our prayer life like this, that our prayer lives more often sound something like this. God, thank you, thank you, thank you. God, help me, help me, help me. 
God, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. Right? That's most of our prayer. And there's nothing wrong with those. In fact, those are encouraged, but it's, it's all reactionary, right? To something that's happened in our lives. And so maybe in the course of walking through Matthew 6, this prayer, maybe our prayer goes beyond just reactionary. Maybe by studying this prayer, our prayer begins to expand past just reactionary prayer. And so let's continue here. The first line of the prayer is the address, who we're praying to, which is a great reminder, right? If, if you just found some letter on the ground today uh, and it had been dropped by someone and you picked it up and you wanted to find who it really went to, you would look first for the name. It's the address. It's, it's the first line of the prayer. And it's this, our Father in heaven, And now before we get to Father, because this was, you know, when I study passages and prepare for messages, um, there are, every every time, even regardless of how many times I've worked through the passage, there's something new that the Lord shows me, something new the Lord points to. And this was what was new for me this time, is that as I looked at that first line, the address, our Father in heaven, I immediately wanted to go to Father and, and start digging into why the word father was used and I've missed many, many times the very first word. What's, what is it? Our. And you're like, well, what's so unique about that? It's our. The word our tells us that there will be a communal nature to what's about to be said. There'll be a communal nature to what's about to be said in this prayer. Because he could have easily said, pray like this, my Father. And that would be appropriate as well. But he doesn't say my, he says our, our Father. It tells us that there's a communal nature to what's about to be said. We'll focus on this more in the second part of the prayer. But I want us to notice right off the bat, it's a prayer that's meant to be prayed in community, in relationship with other believers. And so, Father, let's go ahead and get to Father. Reminds us right off the bat who we're praying to, and the reminder centers on the fathership of God. Now, for some of us, this will be more difficult because you had a terrible father or maybe no father. And so be mindful not to project your experience with your earthly father Onto God. He is perfect. He is good. And He is loving. Our Father. And just to be sure, we're not too casual with Him as we say, Dad, Father, our Father. This next little phrase comes in and it's, who is in heaven, who, or who art in heaven. Just to be sure we're not too casual with him, this phrase is added, whose home is in heaven, which is an interesting juxtaposition, right, of dad, our dad, whose home is heaven. Interesting contrast there. He's God, and he's on his throne. And so that's the address. Now we have the first two sections of the prayer, and, and it's divided up into a couple of different sections, which makes it really easy to memorize and to kind of 
look at and see the structure there that, that I believe Jesus was going for. And so in this first section of the prayer, it's focused specifically on God, who he is. And there are essentially three lines or phrases in the first section. And again, they're all about him. And so let's keep moving here. Phrase one in this first section after the address. Phrase one, what is it? Say it out loud. Hallowed be your name. Anybody use the word hallowed any other time? Probably not. Hallowed be your name. The root of that word essentially is holy or set apart. Holy be your name. Set apart be your name. We're confessing that he's holy, set apart. May your name be honored above all others. It's not as if we ascribe worth to him. That's not what it's about. It's not as if God is in heaven and his worth bank is empty and he's waiting for us to say, God, holy, worthy is your name. Oh, good. The worthy bank, my worthy bank's filled up now for, no, no. He's worthy. He's holy. Whether we ascribe that to him or not, he's God. He's worthy whether or not we confess it. But it's a prayer that we all live in light of his holiness, right? Who he is. And so we ask, well, who is he right here in in this first part, in this first line? Who is he? Oh, he's the Holy One. He's the Holy God, the one set apart from us, the one to be worshipped. That's who he is. Phrase two, let's keep moving. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. A couple different directions here. book that was really helpful that one of you bought me and had it mailed to me, a book on the Lord's Prayer by J.I. Packer. I'll refer to it a couple different times in here. But Packer says this, referring to this line of, God, your kingdom come, what's meant there? He says this, in one sense, the kingdom of God is here now. And Christians are in it. But in another sense, that of perfecting the display of God's grace in this world, the kingdom remains future and awaits Christ's return. The prayer, thy kingdom come, looks on that day. In other words, when Christ will come back. But this doesn't exhaust its meaning. And then he says this. Uh, I want, want you to soak this in as to what it means when, when we're seen here to pray his kingdom come. He says this. Any request for a new display of God's sovereignty and grace In other words, renewing the church, converting sinners, restraining evil, providing good in this world is a further spelling out of thy kingdom come. Scholars call it the already and the not yet kingdom. And so who is he? He's a king. If we're praying that his kingdom come, that tells us he's a king. Who is God? He's a king. And his believers, as his believers, were called to bring his kingdom in the here and now. And one day his kingdom will be fully established when he returns. May your kingdom come. And I, I, I don't know how you are personally. I've told you guys this before. I can go days or weeks and, and just not consciously remember the fact that he's coming back. And so maybe you're the same. 
And we pray his kingdom come. It reminds us not just of the kingdom here and now, but the fact that he'll ultimately finalize his setup of his kingdom. Lord, may your kingdom come. Phrase three in this first section says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth here as it is in heaven. See, this is a confession first of the difference between our will and his will. And this was, again, something fresh for me. If we're praying that his will be done, then we can understand that there's, there's also in existence our will, right? And we're praying, Lord, would you do your will? See, too often in prayer, we find ourselves trying to get God to conform to our will, right? We just expect that, and you guys may have heard this analogy, like a genie in a bottle kind of view of God, uh, where we just want him to do what we want him to do. And this is a prayer of the contrast between his will and our will. Maybe instead we should be praying that he conform us to his will. This is exactly what Jesus prayed in the garden, right? Remember the garden? Jesus said, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. So who is he? Who is this God we're praying to? Well, he's sovereign. He has a will. He is the sovereign God. His will reigns and rules, and may our will conform to his glorious and perfect will. So this first section of the prayer grounds us in the truth of who he is. He's holy, he's king, and he's sovereign. He's holy, he's king, and he's sovereign, which is vital to grasp because these truths about who he is lay the foundation for the second part of this prayer. The second section of the prayer, which dresses us and our needs. And again, the language Jesus uses is communal. Look with me, um, in starting in verse 11. We'll read this together, uh, the rest of the prayer, because I want us to hear all of the communal language in this, which flies in the face of the belief of many in this day that the Christian life or your relationship with God is something that you just kind of do solo. It's just highly personal. And while there is a personal element to our salvation, it's always meant to be communal. Always. No renegade or rogue believers. Listen to this. and Maybe you've never seen this before. Verse 11. Give what? What's the next word? Us. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven. You guys are catching on. Debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Highly communal language here. And so let's now take this phrase by phrase like we did the first section and really dig in and see what we can learn about who we are in light of who God is. Phrase one, give us this day our daily bread. And can we first notice here, our provision comes from him. That's the truth that we need to see here. Our provision comes from him. That's a prayer. Lord, give me today what I need. 
provision comes from him. And this is an interesting request. Give me what I need for today. Notice he does not say, give me or give us all our wants. Difference there, right? Because in reality, in our culture here, in this part of the world, some of us indeed may pray for our daily needs. But maybe a bigger section of us often just pray for more of our wants, right? There's a difference in our needs and wants. And this prayer is, Lord, give me just enough for today. Give me just enough for today. And I just wonder, in our culture here of excess that we live in, how many of us would be a little angry with the Lord if He just gave us what we needed for today and nothing more? Well, we feel shortchanged, right? Of God, you're not giving me enough for the next several days. You're not giving me enough for this thing out here in my future or that thing out here or vacation or savings or retirement or whatever it is. Not that there's anything bad with those things, but I wonder how many of us have really sunk into the idea of, uh, or the practice of just saying, Lord, just give me what I need for today. And maybe we would add to it and help me be content with that. Proverbs 30, verse 8. I love it when we can look at the Scriptures and we see this overlap of all the Scriptures, right? Where we see one Scripture that, that supports the other. And this is interesting verse in the Proverbs. Author says this, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Uh, we're okay with the poverty part, right? <laughs> God, I don't want to be poor. We've prayed that before maybe. But have you ever prayed, God, don't let me be rich? Whoa. He says this, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. And then he explains why this would be his prayer. He says, for if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I'm too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. It's an interesting prayer. God, give me just, just today what I need. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. And then maybe we add and help me be content with that. If I pray that and you answer that prayer, help me be content with that. And by the way, God is a giver or a provider. Again, every, even this section, this second part that uh, tells us about us, we're still learning things about God. What we learn about us is that we're a people of great need if we need provision. God is a giver, a provider, flies in the face of our earn-it culture, which easily spills over into our relationship with God. We remember here, ultimately, God gives provision even down to the very grace of our salvation. God gives. Phrase two, let's keep moving here. Phrase two, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And this obviously tells us about our great need for forgiveness. We talk about that regularly here. You know, we talk about regularly our great need for forgiveness. God, forgive our debts. But the second part can make this a scary prayer. Right? Look at it. God, forgive me 
in the same way that I forgive others. Whoa. Right? God, forgive me in the same way that I have forgiven others. And I wonder if we can pray that. And we ask, where's Jesus going here? Is this some kind of condition on our forgiveness? Like all of a sudden, if I haven't forgiven these people, then he withholds forgiveness from me. I don't think that's where Jesus is going here. He's saying the true evidence of someone being changed by the grace and forgiveness of God is that they offer others an abundance of grace and forgiveness. So we look at that and we go, wow, we've given this picture of what the fruit of the gospel should look like in our lives. And maybe that spurs you on to dig deeper into His grace and forgiveness of you. That that might spill over into the lives of the people around us. May we find ourselves leaning into the forgiveness that He offers us through Christ's sacrifice. Jesus for us for the forgiveness of our sin debt. Maybe that's where we lean in here when we pray. Lord, forgive me of my debts. Forgive me of my sin. Help me understand, Jesus, you in my place so that it spills out over into people around me that I may offer the same as what I've experienced in you. Phrase three, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And we can break it down like this. There is essentially two kinds of evil, and Packer references this in his work says there's external evil, evil that's outside of us. What we could say is circumstantial and just a side effect of living in a sinful world. There's that kind of evil that's external. And then there's another kind of evil that's internal, the kind that comes from our sinful fallen hearts. And I think this is probably more of what Jesus is talking about here because of the reference, of course, to temptation in the same phrase. We know temptation will come. It's an expected part of the Christian life. We know that. And you know that. Temptation can and does come. And when we're faced with temptation, especially, may our prayer be, Lord, deliver me from evil. When you sense that temptation, Lord, deliver me from the evil that's at my door. Deliver me. And when we pray this consistently, maybe we're reminded of how many times we run full on into temptation and evil, right? That, that's that battle that we face when we, when we sense temptation at our door. How many times do we just run full on into it, right? Rather than praying what Jesus has said here of, Lord, deliver me from this evil. Martin Luther says this of temptation, and this is uh, just a, a great usage of words and analogy This has stuck with me from the very first time I heard it years ago in helping me understand temptation and then giving in to sin and evil. He says this, you can't keep a bird from landing on your head, but you can keep it from building a nest there. (laughs) Right? What what an image. Where if you're walking, and this real time happened last year uh, at the airport, uh, it was an airport in Dallas, and there were a bunch of uh, kind of crows hanging out, and, and one of them swooped down and touched the, his claw, touched the head of one of my kids. 
<laughs> and what do you think they did? Ah, it's no big deal. Make yourself at home. No. Immediately like, ah! Ah! And can't stop it from landing on your head. But you certainly can keep it from building a nest there. Maybe this captures our cry for deliverance when temptation is at your door. Lord, deliver me from this evil. He's the deliverer, and we need deliverance. So before we get to this last part, here's what we've seen. Here are the truths that this model prayer is saturating us in. Our Father in heaven, He is holy, He is king, He is sovereign. Second portion of the prayer, He gives us provision He forgives our sin debt and He delivers us from evil. These are the truths that we need to hear daily and should incorporate into our prayer lives. This last part is in some early manuscripts, but not in the earliest manuscripts. And so we can deduct from that that it was likely added after the original writing, which is why you won't find it in the Scriptures. But it still serves as a meaningful benediction or ending. I remember as a kid memorizing the Lord's Prayer in church and then later on in life getting to the Lord's Prayer in the Scriptures and going, hey, they didn't print the rest of it. <laughs> Where's the rest of the Lord's Prayer? Uh, this, is, this Bible's a misprint. That's what I remember thinking. <laughs> and so they, this section has been added, but it's an addition that we can still find merit in. The ending or the benediction that's been added in many traditions goes like this, speaking of our God. Yours is the kingdom, the glory, and the power forever. Amen. This ending simply reminds us of the importance of worship, right? We get down here to the bottom of the prayer and we're pointed back to worship. We're ending the prayer, confessing that he holds all power and authority, and we're placing our prayer at his feet to do with whatever he wills, right? That's what this benediction, in essence, is saying. Here's our prayer, and and you hold all power and authority forever, not just for a period of time, and we're laying all this at your feet in worship. And the amen is us saying, so be it, or surely, yes. Packer says this of the amen. He says, it is best said loudly and with emphasis as our final profession of having meant what we have said and identifying completely with the attitudes, hopes, and goals that the prayer expresses. I love that, loudly and with emphasis. Depending on what tradition you grew up in, some people talk in church loudly. Uh, That's not really our tradition here. It's fine. Every once in a while, we'll get a amen, or we don't don't really ever get a preach it, or anything like that. (laughs) And in fact, you would probably startle everyone around you if you did that. Amen! But that's what Packer is saying. 
This conclusion of amen is best said loudly with emphasis as our final profession of having meant what we have said and identifying completely with the attitudes, hopes, and goals that the prayer here that we've just prayed expresses. We've moved pretty quickly through a pretty meaningful passage for the sake of time. But I want to give us now some time to connect with him, like I said at the beginning. Didn't want to guilt us and wanted to give us plenty of time to interact with him in prayer using this model, so to speak. When Jesus said, pray like this, I think that's what he meant. So I want to give us some time to begin to incorporate some of these themes that we've seen into our prayer life even this morning. Again, connection with him, right? Connection with him. You can memorize it if you want. That's that's a good idea. But the point is not to just utter these words as if that is some kind of magic incantation that will lead to some kind of more blessing in your life. We've seen the Lord's Prayer handled in that kind of way before. And so... What we're going to do, I'm going to ask um, Ann and Josiah to come back up and we're eventually going to sing, but not right off the bat. I'm going to have them just play lightly and give some background for our prayer. And as we pray through this, I'll lead us kind of through three different sections of prayer just between you and the Lord to interact with. We'll start with the address our Father in heaven. And you take some time just between you and Him and pray that. And consider what what you're saying in that. Not just repeat our Father in heaven 20 times, unless that's what He leads you to really do. Thank Him for the Father that He is. If you don't know Him as as a Father like that, a good Father, then make that your prayer. God, I know this says, call you my father, but I have issues with that. I have baggage with that. Would you help me in that? God, would you help me to know your closeness this morning as a father? Then I'll lead us in a time of praying through section one, which is he's holy, he's king, and he's sovereign. And then I'll lead us in a third time of praying through the ending there, the part that's about us, yet still reveals things about him. So let's go to him, just between you and him. You can take on whatever posture is best. If you want to get on your knees, if you want to stand up, whatever works best as we spend some time with him in prayer. So let's pray through the address, our Father in heaven.
And now this second section here. Hallowed, holy, set apart be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's take some moments and pray through the themes that are there in this first section. Let's move into time of prayer in section two. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray through these themes. now we get to the benediction which will be on the screen we're going to say this together for yours is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever we'll say this together communally we've each prayed individually here we'll all say this in unison as we finish this prayer for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Love it. Lyrics we're about to sing as these guys lead us. We're going to sing the old hymn, Sweet Hour of Prayer. And one of the lines in the third verse says, And since he bids me seek his face, believe his word and trust his grace, I'll cast on him my every care and wait for the sweet hour of prayer. So as we sing together, communion will be in the back, celebration of His grace and mercy as displayed to us on the cross as we eat and drink together. And in doing so, we're celebrating that His reign and rule is, forget, is forever. He came out of the grave. So 
Let me pray for us, and then we'll sing and take communion together. Lord, our Father, whose home is in heaven, very different. Lord, you're set apart, you're holy. Lord, you are king with a kingdom. You have a will that reigns and rules. Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come. Lord, we pray that your will would be done. Lord, we confess that you are a God of provision. Lord, scriptures say anything good we have, any good gift is actually from you not from our own hands. We pray that you would give us just what we need. Give us our daily bread. Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness, the forgiveness of our sin debt. Jesus, you in our place. We pray that by your Spirit we would so grasp what you've done for us in the Gospel that it would so change us that that would spill out into the lives of those you've put in our path. We might offer that same forgiveness and grace that you have offered us. Lord, we confess to you life is difficult. Lord, we confess to you that there's evil all around us and we confess to you that there's evil within us as well lurking. As the old man, the old creature rears its head and vies for authority and control. We thank you for your scriptures that we are a new creation in you. And as temptation comes, Lord, would you deliver us from evil for your glory and your name's sake. We thank you, Jesus, that you came out of the grave. You didn't just lay your life down for us. You came out of the grave and Within you is all glory and honor and power forever. And collectively, as believers gathered together, we say amen. We pray these things in your name. Amen.